Hey, welcome back. Yeah, I'm posting a lot of Gaia shows today. So I watched a lot yesterday. So here we go. Diaper Dawn Deadline from Hell is finally here. Yay. Hi. Obviously, Diaper Donald's not in jail. Keep meaning to write an amicus brief. Legal AF. February 15th is a red letter day for Donald Trump and his defense team. No. It's not Valentine's Day, <laughs> but two separate court hearings that are pivotal mm. in the criminal prosecutions against Donald Trump are both going to happen on the 15th Yay. of February. First, That's a great the New York um, Manhattan <laughs> District Attorney Alvin Bragg led criminal case against Donald jail. Trump for <laughs> actions he committed while he was a presidential candidate in 2016 and not the President of the United States, in which, it's as alleged in the indictment, he covered up payments to a former mistress or an affair of his, Stormy Daniels, and tried to label them as campaign contributions and campaign expenses, which is a crime in New York to lie in a business's books and records. That case, which we thought would take a backseat to the federal criminal prosecutions and trials, like the one in the District of Columbia, has suddenly bounced back to the front of the line at a big hearing on February 15th in front of Judge Juan Mershon, where now that they've the dust has settled, and Judge Chutkin in the D.C. election interference case just today issued a two-line order, a minute order, on her docket that said what we, what we always knew and always believed in the last month, that because the D.C. Court of Appeals three-judge panel has taken all of another month or three weeks to make a decision we thought they would make in days – the trial there has slipped by two months, and she is officially taking her trial off the docket <laughs> for March the 4th start. In fact, she said, with a, which I think with a little bit of a zets, a little bit of a zinger for her bosses at the D.C. Court of Appeals, she said if and when a, uh, the panel uh, issues a mandate to either return the case to me as the trial judge um, and or grants the motion to dismiss the indictment, we are taking it off the docket now. That's one part of the dust settling. It's also clear to Judge Mershon for the 15th of February that Judge McAfee in Georgia is not going to be ready with his trial. In fact, on that same day, two worlds colliding for Donald Trump, two different trial teams stretching him thin while he's trying to prepare for Super Tuesday in early March, Judge McAfee is going to be holding an evidentiary hearing while Judge Mershon is deciding on the final trial date for for his criminal case. Um, Judge McAfee is deciding whether Fawny Willis and her special prosecutor and, I guess, boyfriend, Nathan Wade, are going to continue in the case and whether the case is going to continue or the indictment somehow is going to be dismissed because of Fawny Willis and Nathan Wade, I don't know, going away to Napa Valley for a couple of days. It's about, about the best way I can put it. So that's a big, um, this is what happens when things slip, as they often do in trial calendars, trial dockets, appeals. And now what we've got is the uh, glare of the spotlight on two cases. Um, I mean, look, if we were picking the cases that we wanted to go first, we, I, all, I think everybody would agree, most people would agree, it's Jack Smith, special counsel's four-count conspiracy case against Donald Trump in the District of Columbia, presided over by Judge Chutkin, and have it start in March. But that has now become a pipe dream. It's not happening. Um, the second best case, um, I would have wanted probably Fawny Willis's case to go to trial. 
Um, but that hasn't even been set yet, and at the rate she's kind of fending off motions, ridiculous motions, may not get set before August or September or October, and it will never be completed, the Georgia election interference case, before people have to vote. So now Judge Mershon, also on the 15th of February, has a different road and path and glide path in front of him in setting his trial. Whereas months ago, the last time they met, six, seven months ago, all of these uh, all of these judges and prosecutors were competing to go first. Who was going to go in March? Was it going to be Chutkin, which Judge Mershon already agreed to allow that case to go forward if it was ready, but it's not ready. Was it going to be Fonnie Willis? And then Aileen Cannon, of course, whatever she's doing, twiddling her thumbs as a federal judge in the Mar-a-Lago case. And that case is not even getting out of the starting blocks. I don't even think Aileen Cannon has her shoes tied on yet um, to run that race. So forget all of that. So now a whole different picture here, clear, you know, clearing in the woods for Judge Mershon. I'm first. I'm first. So I would expect that on February the 15th, um, as the running theme of this hot take, Judge Mershon is going to set that trial for the end of March, beginning of April, and he's not going to hear about, oh, Donald Trump's getting ready for primaries, and nobody cares about that. Um, If they can argue that the, here's what could happen. Let's just give you a little bit of a primer to manage expectations. If in the next several days, (laughs) which we've been saying for a lot of several days, the D.C. Court of Appeals three-judge panel... And the child makes the decision to be all over the going to find a Donald Trump to find out the right about how we think this is going to go. It's going to be, I don't know, mid-March. You know, then you're looking at, uh, I'm sorry, uh, she's got to give time for the last time for Donald Trump. So you start looking at a June trial. And a June trial in federal court will get completed before November um, to let people know that in the electorate, thumbs up, thumbs down, Donald Trump a criminal or not. Is he absolved, exonerated, or convicted? Which is it? We want to know. People want to know, Popak. So... Uh, just going through the math there, if in the next few days before the 15th of February, if the D.C. Court of Appeals rules, I got to think they're going to then even so, even with that data point, Judge Rashawn in New York is still going to go forward at the beginning of March because you just have to add plus two to three months back on Chutkin's calendar in the District of Columbia to put that case back on track. She's already ruled a month ago. And she, had, she does not expect Donald Trump to have lifted up a pen with his lawyers to keep preparing for a trial until, unless and until the um, D.C. Court of Appeals rules. So she's going to have to give him makeup time, you know, like a test, you know, extra time added on in order to get to that trial, which, again, front and centers the uh, Manhattan District Attorney case. And then on the 15th of February, with all of these data points in mind, the slow footing of the case by Judge Cannon for Mar-a-Lago, the Judge Chutkin already declaring that she's going to add plus two or three months onto any restart of the case. What Judge Mershon does at or about the same time, Judge McAfee's going to have to make a decision off of an, ev- off of an evidentiary hearing on that same day, whether he's going to keep his prosecutors in place, he's going to dismiss them, and whether he's going to dismiss the indictment. Here's my handicap on that. Here's my, here's my uh, prediction. 
Bonnie Willis stays in place. Nathan Wade may go out the back door. Not sure yet. And the indictment stays in place. And I've said in a prior hot take, it is time for Judge McAfee, who has been running an extraordinarily efficient and proper um, uh, and sober courthouse, courtroom, to set the trial of Donald Trump. More time than that where you're, you're leaving it to the devices of these various more mischief, right? Idle hands, double play things. That's what we're watching now. Nobody's got a trial date. Everybody's running around. Motion practice is out of hand, out of control. The way you control that, you know, you that trial. And I think that's what we're going to see. Again, 2 15, uh, we're going to see Judge Rashawn set his trial for the first meeting of April. Scott McAfee, I think, ultimately off that hearing in 2 15, as well as Georgia, which is going to be presided over by the state out. Uh, it's going to be handled by the state out of Donald Trump. election interference case, as we see, has presidential immunity in the tying up the appellate courts and not, but not very low, slow, no-moving parts case of Stormy Daniels hush money cover-up, business record fraud case. One defendant, okay? You got, yeah, sure, you got 34 counts, but they're all sort of tied around payments. And then you've got, you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an interesting uh, gallery of witnesses that will testify. I mean, the um, indictment, as it, as it is written, says that Donald Trump, uh, along with David Picar, his name is spelled Pecker, from the old National Enquirer days down in Boca, kind of got into a conspiracy where David David Picar would operate a catch and kill program sort of what it sounds like, he would find all of these people that were claiming to sleep with that son of Donald Trump, who were, who were trying to also, you know, ask for money related to that. He would find them, offer to buy their story, give them money from Donald Trump, and then kill the story. So it was a catch and kill, as devised by David Clark, accepted by Donald Trump. And the lead participants in that were Mike Cohen, our network, and David Picard along with Donald Trump, and Alan Weisselberg, the chief financial officer for the Trump organization since Daddy Trump. And he's, um, he was already convicted of 17 felony counts. This chief financial officer served 100 days in the Manhattan Correctional Facility in Rikers Island. And now, based on Why the, is it the always New York Times, is very close everybody to uh, having another plea deal, which he pleads guilty to felony of perjury lying crimes. under oath during the New York Attorney General case that's now seeking a half a billion dollars against Donald Trump. You get how all this connects? This is like one of those things on, like, Homeland, 
you know, like red, uh, red, you know, uh, yarn and pins over the conspiracy. But I'm trying to do it without the yarn and the pins. So here we go. You've got um, that Weisselberg along with Michael Cohen, who are who were Michael Cohen. At first, David Picard laid out the money, you know. So for one of them, uh, I can't remember which one, some beauty queen that's up with Donald Trump. It'll come to me, uh, McDougal. Uh, Picard laid out the money, like 130000 something like that. But he never got paid back by Donald Trump. Does this sound familiar? And so Picard said, I'm not using my own money for this. So, so Michael Cohen laid out the money from his bank account when he was consigliere for, for – um, Donald Trump, and, you know, he went to jail for part of this. And then he would get reimbursed on the books, making it look like a legal expense to Michael Cohen with a bonus and payments, but it really was just a cover-up of payments made, like campaign finance payments that were made because candidate Trump didn't want to come out that he slept with Stormy Daniels, a porn star. And he certainly didn't want Melania to know about it. So they were using Michael Cohen as the beard to pay off, make the payoff, then when they recorded it in their books, because they had to keep track of the money, they didn't record it as payoff to former one night stand. They wrote um, this, you know, legal expenses bonus to Michael Cohen, and that's the fraud in the in the in the books and records. Now, some people might think, well, this is sort of a ridiculous case, and what kind of felony is that? Yeah, it's a low end, classy misdemeanor. Uh, sorry, felony in, in New York. You don't normally go to jail for that. However. If Alvin Bragg is successful with the New York journey, and I think by all indications the Manhattan DA office is an elite fighter squadron of trial lawyers, it always has been, um, they'll, they'll succeed and they'll tag Donald Trump with a felony conviction, low grade as it is, in New York for this fraud. And the way that Alvin Bragg is positioning the case, and I think rightly so, is that it was a dress rehearsal for election interference for Donald Trump. He got a taste for it, got a taste for it in 2016 while he was candidate Trump. And then he just thought he could get away with it later on. And so there is a lot of benefit to the criminal justice system that Alvin Bragg win this case. Now, if he loses the case, of course, it puts the wind at Donald Trump's sale to claim all the other criminal prosecutions are witch hunt and all of that. But let's get the win up on the board, right? You know, you can all, you know, when they say about sports teams, when they're playing, you know, when they're playing their opponent, their opponent is not very good. You don't want to play down to your opponent. You need to play the games on the schedule that you have. you got to beat Donald Trump at this trial, and I can't think of a better organization than the Manhattan DA's office to do just that. they got the right people, the right, the right elements, the right issues, and it's simple, a simple case to present to the jury. Unlike Jack Smith's case, which is a little more complicated, Mar-a-Lago, which has all his classified top-secret documents issues, this is just about common, common business record fraud in New York. Was this check... Uh, booked for what it really was, or was it booked for something that was fraudulent to hide its true nature and purpose? That's it for the jury. It's not that hard. It's almost, it is binary. The light switch is on or it's off here. And I think for a jury, it's going to be a very easy case to understand and, and that the simplicity of the case is probably its, um, it, it gives it its heft, give, gives us its gravitas. We'll follow what happens on February 15th? Our report right back here the night of February 15th or February 16th. But that, that's a big red letter day as I started the hot take with for Donald Trump. And we'll follow it based on these criminal prosecutions and where we're going. One place and one place only. The Midas Touch Network right here. Don't change that dial. We already got 2 million free subscribers. Hopefully you're one of them. 
And then I do this show, a version of these hot takes, but with a co-anchor, Ben Micellis on Saturday, Karen Freeman Agnipolo on Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the YouTube channel for Midas Dutch. You're right there now. Don't change that dial. If you like this kind of content, give me a thumbs up and a comment. The more thumbs up and comments I get, the more likely it is that I'll stay on the air. Uh, with <laughs> It sounds terrible. I'm going to stay on the air. But <laughs> just give me the comments and the uh, and uh, and the thumbs up. It does help, and I am... Tucson, get me on the ballot. I wonder if I can run for um, president as a both a Republican and a Democrat. go.azsos.gov slash xww9 okay so there we go load video 
okay and I can share it all over all over the internet so let's see here Midas touch everybody go subscribe federal judge sends clear message on diaper dawn trial dates Biden's granddaughter rips Fox to shreds in public great go for this folks Folks, we're going to win re-election. We're going to win re-election. You need to get start. me on the ballot. Whatever you're able to he's always asking you for dough, eh? Yeah, he's always asking you for a buck, really? He's been in Congress for over 50 years. You don't think he's super rich? Why don't you spend your own money, old man? Thank you. President Biden's granddaughter, Hunter Biden's daughter, Naomi Biden, just called out Fox News and the Fox host Jesse Waters saying, I'm not sure how this man, referring to Jesse Waters, can even call himself a reporter. And frankly, I'm not even sure how Fox can be able to call itself news with the filth that they spew. Utter tabloid cosplay fascist trash is how I would consider it. But let's go back to what Naomi Biden is saying. So the president's granddaughter has had enough with the right-wing attacks on her family. And here's what happened. So there was a segment on the Jesse Waters Fox show where Jesse Waters said that Joe Biden, quote, is not the best father, attacking Joe Biden, President Biden, as a dad and, and what saying that Donald Trump did a great job when he brought <laughs> his children to hang out with Jeffrey Epstein. Here's what yeah. Naomi Biden posted on social media and showed the clip that Jesse Waters posted. Naomi Biden wrote, quote, I have heard so many lies about my family. It takes a lot to make me upset, but this crosses the line. Not sure how this man can call himself a reporter and i hope he never has a son or daughter who struggles with anything you can disagree with president biden's policies without being this ugly naomi biden was of course addressing a jesse waters fox segment where he attacked joe biden's parenting over her father's struggles with addiction jesse waters went on an unhinged rant on the border saying President Biden is not the best father. The man can't say no to his own son. He can't say stop. He can't have consequences for actions. And that's what you need. You need a man in charge of the border. First, let me play you this segment, horrific segment, from the Jesse Waters uh, program. Play this clip. Oh. I knew Biden was bad on the border because he's not the best father. The man can't say no to his own son. He can't say stop. He can't have consequences for actions. And that's what you need. You need a man in charge on the border to say this is not going to be allowed. And if you do break in, this is. And then Naomi Biden responded to that. By the way, Naomi Biden, graduate from Columbia Law School, brilliant lawyer, and she previously penned this incredible piece about her father, Hunter, back in September of 2020 that I also want to share with you. But setting aside the disgusting language uh, 
by Jesse Waters there. The horrific personal attack on President Joe Biden, who's an incredible father. When you heard all of the audio recordings of President Biden standing by his son when his son suffered from addiction, son, I love you, I will always be there for you. You always have somebody to call here, no matter what you're going through. I love you, son. I'm here for you. I can only wish that more people who suffered from addiction had somebody like that. that in their life. Frankly, for me, going back to 2019, 2020, I don't know about you. One of the things that sealed the deal in my support for President Biden was his character, integrity, and how he stood by his son. That was something to me that in the privacy of his family life, before MAGA Republicans tried to torment him and embarrass him and humiliate him, when the cameras were off, he was there for his son. He didn't say, go away, son. He didn't say, I'm ashamed. He said, I love you. I'm here for you. You're a brilliant hunter, and I will always be here for you, and I know you're going through things right now. I know how hard it's been for you after the death of your brother, Bo, and after everything you've gone through in your childhood. I am here for you. You know someone who suffers from addiction. You may have suffered from addiction. We, we know people in our lives, friends, family members, who have lost their lives due to addiction. This is not something to mock. This is not something to treat like this. And by the way, talk about living in a glass house. Go look at Jesse Waters' history. Go look at Jesse Waters leaving his wife and, and how Jesse Waters basically began his career making these weird, creepy videos for Bill O'Reilly where he would like harass people on the street. Go take a look at Jesse Waters' background, because like all MAGA Republicans, it's always projection and confession with this bunch who wants to hold themselves as holier than thou. Oh, the Moms for Liberty chair who wants to talk about parental rights, but then engages in threesome trysts where one of the people are accusing her husband of engaging in sexual abuse or the parental rights person in Pennsylvania who punched a teenager and was holding underage drinking parties. And I could go or the shoplifter parental rights person who stole from Target when they were boycotting Target for whatever ridiculous MAGA reasons they are. It's all projection and confession with this. Oh, by the way, I've heard a little rumor that Jesse Waters' mom's a Midas Touch fan, and uh, she had actually reached out to uh, Jesse Waters when he first got that hosting job. Do you remember what uh, she said to Jesse Waters? Do you remember what she said? Stop with the conspiracies, son. Do not, you're better than that. Here's Jesse Waters' mom <laughs> calling in and saying to Jesse Waters, you're better than this. What are you doing? She called in and warned him. And he didn't even listen to, he didn't even listen to his own mom. Here, play this clip. We have a very special guest on the line, a Democrat, my mom. <laughs> mom? Hello How have there, you? Jesse. Hello there, Mom. <laughs> How have you um, enjoyed the show so far? I have enjoyed the show. I want to say congratulations, Honey Bun. We are so proud of you and your accomplishments, <laughs> you. and you've worked so hard. Now let's aim to have you honey keep bun. your job. And yeah. 
To that end, I do have some suggestions. Okay. Do not tumble into any conspiracy rabbit holes. Okay. We do not want to lose you, and we want no lawsuits. Okay. In, okay? In yeah. keeping, I, I have a list here. In keeping okay. with the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. We need you to be kind and respectful. Okay. You yourself mentioned that humble is a stretch, so I, I get that. <laughs> Use your voice responsibly to promote conversation that maintains a narrative thread. There, there really has been enough Biden bashing, and the laptop is old. <laughs> Perhaps you could suggest that your people take less interest, for example, in other people's bodies, and talk about that. <laughs> I went to bed with a younger man because of my husband's ED. This simple mix of ingredients is capable of... By the way, Dr. Jill Biden talked about... MAGA Republicans attacking Hunter, attacking Hunter's personal life. Dr. Jill Biden said, quote, I think what they are doing to Hunter is cruel, and I'm really proud of how Hunter has rebuilt his life after addiction. Dr. Biden said, I love my son, and it's hard. It hurts my grandchildren, and that's what I'm so concerned about, that it's affecting their lives as well. I want to read for you this if you haven't if you haven't uh, seen it. This is what Naomi Biden posted September of uh, 2020, and I, I remember reading it back then. But it's worth pulling it up right now in light of the despicable conduct by Jesse Waters. Here's what she wrote: posted uh, uh, September 23rd, 2020, from Naomi Biden. Though the whole world knows his name, no one knows who he is. Here's a threat on my dad, Hunter Biden, free of charge to the taxpayers and free of the corrosive influence of power at all costs politics. The truth of a man filled with love, integrity, and human struggles. My dad has never sought the spotlight growing up when I attended political events with my pop. People would ask if I was Bo's daughter or Bo's brother's daughter. He liked it that way. He found his purpose in doing everything in his power to help Bo achieve his dreams. He and Bo were one, one heart, one soul, one mind. They grew up with the weight of knowing that each day they lived was a day that their sister, my namesake, and their mother lost. But they had each other, and that would be enough. They would make sure it was enough. After graduating college, not certain what he could do well, but certain he wanted to do good, he joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, a Catholic organization working on behalf of marginalized groups and devoted to community and social justice. This is where he would meet my mom. His dream was to attend Yale Law School, but he was rejected. He started his 1L year at Georgetown instead, and he and my mom simultaneously preparing for the start of the family. I was born not just the day of, but in the middle of his civil procedure and final exam. He left the exam and rushed to meet my mother in the hospital. A good family friend still likes to joke about picking him up to take him to the hospital, dressed in a suit too big for him and still in the early days of a life of unknowable adventure. Later that year, he applied to Yale as a transfer student. He thought he had no chance, but my mom believed in him, and more importantly, them together. For his personal statement, he wrote a poem, something they encourage you strongly against doing. He received a letter from Yale saying that the dedication and hard work he had devoted to his study of the law at Georgetown made him more than qualified, but that the poem, unlike anything else they had received, earned him a spot at Yale Law. 
<laughs> just paused. Just the one thing I take issue with here. Oh. I went to Georgetown Law. Why'd you leave us, Hunter Biden? Georgetown Law is a good law school. But anyway, I'm glad you made it into Yale. The three of us moved to New Haven into a house that, although no bigger than my freshman year dorm room, was all we needed to call home. Every night they put me to sleep to our anthem, three is a magic number from Schoolhouse Rock. Supporting the three of us off nothing more than his student loans and the cash he saved working summers through high school and college, often with Bo, including a meatpacking plant, long story, LOL, he graduated from Yale Law. The three of us. After graduation, he put his dreams on hold to take a job that would ensure that anything was possible for me and my sisters. He used that money to pay off not only his own student loans, but my uncle Bo's college and law school loans so that he could pursue his dreams too. When my uncle got sick, my dad never missed a single doctor's appointment or chemo treatment. When he got sicker, my dad lived out of a suitcase and slept in the chair next to his hospital bed for two months. He held his hand as he lost his brother and a big piece of himself, too. The pain he has endured would be enough to make a lesser man give up on life altogether. But despite the best efforts of a cruel few to destroy a private man. He is sober, happy, and at peace as ever today because as long as his family needs him, he has not lost his purpose. I'll leave you with that. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. <laughs> Hey there, welcome back. Uh, how about let's see what else is going on on Mod's Touch. And everybody go subscribe. Thanks for 333, 32, okay, well, that's awesome. That's a third of a million, pretty amazing. Some headlines, massive wildfires in Chile kill more than 120. The one thing that ruined Miley Cyrus's 2024 Grammy look. Huh. Um, I think it's her hair. <laughs> uh, but no, uh... I have some great news. I wanted to thank y'all. I wanted to thank 22,202 people for writing in. 22,202 people wrote my name in for Arizona State Mining Inspector. Remember when I was uh, campaigning so high because there was an empty space on the ballots where a Democrat should be so I entered the race. I didn't get on the ballot for governor. So I saw that and I uh, thought I'd give it the old college try. And yeah, I just saw that number um, on ballot on wiki ballotpedia. Which is pretty cool and tweeted it. So that, that was uh, quite chuffed actually. Quite chuffed because uh, 22,202 people know my name and they wrote it in. Uh, 
um, you know, they got, they understood 22,202 people understood the assignment, which is, you know, to, to have a Democrat in every single race and not, never, never giving up even one seat without a fight, you know. These mofos, they should be suspended as a party, quite frankly, and I'm the only person saying so, which is another reason you need to get me on the ballot. Please share my shit. I mean, my ish. Okay, let's see. Breaking Border Patrol Union endorses bipartisan border bill urges its quick passage. Hmm, that's cool. These people, these guys are, they're, they're like raping the, there's only 5% uh, women, lady, border patrol agents. Exclamation point. Hey, Midas Touch, how about a shout out? How about a shout out to me here in Tucson running for sheriff? I will bring in ACLU first thing and rewrite all their policies, including detention and contact with the public okay here's here's uh Get me on the ballot. Get me on the ballot. Okay, so that uh, website is uh, go.gov. Oh, no, sorry. Go. Sorry, I'm, I'm like trying to type at the same time xww9 right it's go.az as in arizona sos secretary of state dot gov <clears throat> slash xww9 thanks you guys are the greatest mission point i would be happy to be your guest too Your show. So, hey, my touch. How about a shout out to me here in Tucson? I'm running for sheriff. I'll bring an ACLU first thing and rewrite all of our policies, including detention and add contact with the public, including the border. I need Tucson. Get me in the ballot. I need. Just send get me on the ballot. Go dot slash 
XWW9. Thanks, you guys are the greatest. You should have Jesse Waters' mom come on the show. I'd be happy to join as well. What the hell? What are you doing in here, pretty babies? Huh? Come on, scram. Dereliction defense are other people. Oh, um, I didn't see the green light on. So these are, these are other people's comments. The dereliction of duty by the House Republicans on this is breathtaking. The vast majority of them do not deserve re-election. Mike Johnson has said the, a border bill would be done on arrival. Democrats file a resolution to vacate the Speaker's chair immediately. interesting points. Awesome. The more noise that's made about the border issue being caused by Trump and the MAGA Republicans, the better. By the way, um, The game of smiles. According to Jen Bud, former senior border patrol agent, there are only 5% women BP agents. Hey, fuckers, get out of here. Because they, uh, they, they get, they get fucking raped, basically. Right. Yeah, they're no fucking angels, that's for damn sure. Okay, so voila. King Charles diagnosed with cancer, prostate cancer. He looks he looks different. He looks totally different. That doesn't look like him. That's like a double. 
Not him. Chicken meatballs. No, 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 no. So yeah, they they took him out so they could uh, cure him with the cancer treatment they have. Trader Green run the house. That's on Forbes. Okay, clear my calendar. I'm ready. Trader Federal Judge. Granddaughter, we just saw that. Diaper Don's passwords on GOP Senator. Come back to haunt him on border deal. It's in your hands. Supreme Court makes us move on most important decisions yet. Four hours ago. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. I can't emphasize this enough. This is the most momentous term in the United States Supreme Court history concerning the presidency and our constitutional republic and the role of the criminal justice system and aspects of the Constitution concerning an out-of-control presidency. This is it. This is where the rubber meets the road. It starts this Thursday with oral argument about whether Donald Trump was an insurrectionist and committed rebellion against the Constitution and therefore should be banned from the ballot under the 14th Amendment, Section 3. But that's not all. In April, the United States Supreme Court is going to decide whether two out of the four counts brought by the special counsel's office, uh, Jack Smith, in the D.C. election interference case presided over against uh, by uh, Judge Chutkin, are going to survive or or if they have to be dismissed the two related to uh, obstruction with an official proceeding which were brought against not only donald trump again two out of his four counts in the dc election interference indictment are based on that but also against other jan six defendants that's in april that that would have been after the start of the trial of, of uh Donald Trump in the D.C. election interference case, but that case is not going to start now until after oral argument or maybe even a rendered decision, and we'll talk about that next. But there's a third major case that's coming, not just this Thursday oral argument, not just the oral argument in April, but this future oral argument that should take place sometime in February or in March, or likely in March, after the D.C. Court of Appeals finally gets around to ruling. Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be Tuesday? Who knows? Uh, uh, concerning Donald Trump's assertion of absolute presidential immunity against criminal conduct to seek the dismissal of his indictment in the D.C. election interference case. That case, we have to first get the decision from the D.C. Court of Appeals, and then it has to go up to the United States Supreme Court, who's already indicated that they'll take the case after the initial decision by the D.C. Court of Appeals, after full briefing. So you've got not one, not two, but three separate cases. Never in the history of the United States Supreme Court has there ever been such a coalescing uh, of momentous decisions that go to the heart of our, uh, our, our constitutional republic and the, how the presidency fits into the checks and balance and three co-equal branches of government. Never. Now look, there's one person on the Supreme Court now who was on the Supreme Court in Bush versus Gore in 2000 when in that unsigned decision the Supreme Court picked the president, and that was Clarence Thomas. Everybody else that's on this current court were not on the court as judges. However, at least three of the members of the current Supreme Court, including the Chief Justice John Roberts, were involved in Bush, Bush versus Gore, 
about whether there was a pro there were improper uh, ballots being used and improper uh, balloting being used in the state of Florida. Um, I won't go into all the gory details, no pun intended, but there was a uh, a ballot that was used in one part of Florida, it's known as the butterfly ballot, that probably led to improper voting for Pat Buchanan, a third-party candidate, and those votes likely should have gone to Al Gore because of a mistake in the way that the ballot was printed and the way that it was used. The Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, had to decide the issue after the Florida Supreme Court had allowed continued counting, manual hand counting of the ballots. The Supreme Court, five to four, put an end to that and declared uh, Bush the winner. And that's, that's how we got... Uh, uh, George W. Bush II, or whatever it was, as our president. But John Roberts worked as a lawyer on the on the Bush side related to that matter, as did Amy Coney Barrett, as did Kavanaugh, and they all got eventually onto the United States Supreme Court. So they have a um, a background in this this world at the intersection of law and politics, which of course usually the Supreme Court finds to be quite unsavory, but they're not going to have a choice here. They're not going to be able to do what they normally do, which is sort of kick the can down the road and say, well, this is a political question, and under the political question doctrine, the United States Supreme Court could stay out. They are the last stop on the train as it relates to whether Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and committed rebellion against the Constitution to, to disqualify him from the ballot and to make the decision about who makes the decision under that 14th Amendment and the language there as to whether somebody is barred and banned and disqualified. Yeah, shout out to KAMP Student Radio. It's got to be the United States Supreme Court. They can't punt it back to Congress, although that, that's an easy exit ramp for them that's been proposed by Donald Trump. Everybody else in the thinking world in our democracy that's filed an amicus brief um, all, I mean all, of the legitimate legal scholars, Civil War scholars, former judges, uh, Federalist Society, lions of the Federalist Society like Judge Michael Ludick have all basically told the United States Supreme Court that the um, Civil War era drafters of the 14th Amendment Section 3 would be shocked that we weren't automatically applying this to Donald Trump to have him banned from the ballot, that he was exactly what they were anticipating to prevent a future insurrection in this country under the Civil War amendments, including the 14th Amendment. And so you have that. That's going to be oral argument this Thursday. We'll get the audio version of it. Uh, the audio version of the oral uh, argument. Uh, we'll have that, and we'll be able to uh, <laughs> talk about it on Legal AF and on the... Dutch network. And very interestingly, the Solicitor General, talk about, you know, sort of Biden staying out of it. I know Donald Trump likes to talk about, uh, it's, it's the Biden Department of Justice, they've been weaponized, they go after them, two systems of justice, whatever malarkey he talks about. But in reality, the, the Solicitor General, which is often referred to as the 10th Justice on the United States Supreme Court, that's how respected that office is, and argues, you know, just um, 
dozens and dozens of times during a particular term and, is, and has a lot of uh, gravitas and a lot of uh, influence over the results of the United States Supreme Court, has not taken a position or filed a brief related to the ballot, uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, disqualification issue. Now, some people might be scratching their head in the audience and going, well, how can they not? I mean, be, be, because they're staying out of it and they're letting the private litigants, you know, the citizens for responsible you know, ethics, whatever it is, crew, that's, sorry, that's brought the Colorado case, which is the basis for the appeal. It's Citizens the, uh, it's the uh, 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 entry into the case by the United States Supreme Court, which the Colorado Supreme Court, by a four to Citizens three vote, found that Donald Trump violated the 14th Amendment, Section 3, could be disqualified and banned from the ballot. That's how we got here. You know, the main case, but the main Secretary of State is involved as well, and all the other states that are considering it are looking for guidance from the I United States Supreme Court. I think we should definitely keep up but with the, the disqualification um, you know, campaign, that, don't you? That's How the issue, you know, sort of got framed right there. Now, that issue, uh, which is going to be argued before the Supreme Court in oral argument, and we'll, like I said, we'll cover it there. Again, the Solicitor General is not taking a position. Trump's lawyers are there. The crew lawyers are there. The amicus briefs, the friends of the court briefs are there. But the Solicitor General in taking a position on behalf of, of the United States of America is not there. And so, uh, you know, I want to just completely debunk any theory that that Biden is weaponizing for election interference. This particular case, Biden is not even at the table. You know, he doesn't even his solicitor general doesn't even have a seat at the table. She's not even an observer. She's not even going to be there. She didn't file a brief. So let me just clear that up right now. That's April. We'll get a decision from that, you know, given the timing of everything um, quickly. I would expect that we'll get a decision, um, you know, assuming the ballots have to be printed for November, you know, sometime in August, we will get a decision before August. We might get a decision as soon as, you know, let's say um, April, but we'll see, you know, they're on their own timetable, just to clear it up. The Supreme Court sets its own timetable. There's no schedule. There's no rule book that says how long it could take them to, make, to render a decision. They render it when they render it. After they hear the oral argument, they'll meet in caucus. They'll decide the votes. They'll decide who, who's going to write the majority opinion as selected by uh, Chief Justice Roberts. If he's in the majority, he'll write the opinion or assign it to somebody. If he's not in the majority, the senior most person in the majority vote would write the decision. That's how that works. So that's decision one. That comes off an April, uh, I'm sorry, that comes off a Thursday oral argument. But in April, something that's been sort of below the radar, and I want to bring it to your attention on this hot take, is running. The There has been an appeal from the the D.C. trial court level of a decision uh, that, that went up to the D.C. Court of Appeals as to whether the obstruction of an official proceeding, which was the second highest criminal charge used by the Department of Justice in their indictments, including against Donald Trump, uh, under seditious conspiracy, but also carrying a 20-year prison sentence for obstructing an official proceeding, whether that's an appropriate crime to use uh, for the facts that have been alleged against these defendants. So the, the uh, indictment basically reads that because the Jan 6 defendants and Donald Trump tried to interfere with the certification of the electoral votes 
by stopping the count, right? By trying to burn down the building and trying to hunt for elect uh, for elected officials who were involved with the uh, certification. That was ultimately, obviously, obstruction of an official proceeding. Now that statute, that crime, comes out of the uh, around the year 2000, out of the Enron financial scandal, which is sort of like FTX of its day, where you know there wasn't really a real business underneath the business, and the whole thing went under. It took a lot of uh, stock um, uh, stock owner money with it, right? Uh, took a lot of investor money with it Somebody down the drain, and required a bailout by the government and all of that. <laughs> so there was a. a new law that was created, not retroactively to, to apply to Enron, but in the future, which was because Enron was giving its regulators BS, you know, sort of bullshit records, cooked books, and the regulators couldn't figure out what was going on inside. And so they created for the future Enrons this obstruction of an official proceeding to create a new crime. Now, look, when a prosecutor is indicting, he can only use the rule book that he has. Sure, the statute or the crime might have been created for a different scenario, but it doesn't mean by its literal terms it can't be applied to future crime. I mean, who could have anticipated that there would be a former president who would commit insurrection or rebellion against, <laughs> against the government to stop the peaceful transfer of power? You can only use the tools that are in your toolbox. And they found this statute, and they thought it's, it's applicable <laughs> by its terms, and I, and I believe that it is. Almost every judge of the D.C. Uh, uh, trial court agreed. And uh, many, many, many of the Jan 6 defendants have either pled guilty to that crime or have been uh, convicted of that crime by a judge or a jury. But one judge, Judge Nichols, questioned whether it was appropriate and, and suggested in his decision that unless the Jan 6 defendants and Donald Trump got their hands on the actual physical ballots and ripped them up, which, of course, they didn't do. They didn't get in that far, thank God. Then there, you couldn't use this count. That, I think, is a very narrow, ridiculous interpretation, unreasonable, of the provision. And so the D.C. Court of Appeals, in a two-to-one decision, agreed with my interpretation of what I just laid out. It's up now on appeal with the United States Supreme Court. If the Supreme Court finds that the obstruction of an official proceeding is an appropriate count to have been used, great. All the Jan 6 people people who were sentenced or are currently uh, serving sentences are fine. If not, it'll release, it'll open the jails to all the Jan 6 defendants convicted of that particular crime. It'll require resentencing if they were convicted of other crimes. And the two of the four counts against Donald Trump in the D.C. election interference case will be oh, ripped away. I mean, he Trump. still has some good counts against him for the prosecutor's side. But, you know, he'll lose two of the counts. In other words, he'll win. He'll have two of the counts removed oh, from his indictment. And he can't be tried on that. Trump. So that's a giant April issue. And then you've got the last issue. this hot take, which again, all in this term, think about this for the United States Supreme Court. I mean, John Roberts must be losing his hair and his sleep because this is not what he wanted to kind of round out the back nine of his career as the Chief Justice. You know, he's already going to be remembered as the Chief Justice when the, when the Dobbs decision came out, ripping away a woman's right to choose um, and the constitutional right to an abortion and overturning Roe versus Wade. I mean, it's already a giant black mark on his on his tenure, right? In his obituary, it's going to be in the first line. 
Is the second line going to be that he's he's allowed a criminal president to overturn his indictment and to dismiss his indictment for criminal acts while he was in in, in the presidency, or to have these uh, you know, or to be on the ballot when he shouldn't have been on the ballot by misreading the Fourteenth Amendment? Come on, John Roberts, how do you want your obituary to read? These are these are important considerations. There's more to cleaning your home than meets the eye. So if you want truly cleaner air. Oh, this trouble. And then lastly, we've got, we're waiting on the. Somebody needs to read that guy, the riot act. I think we should definitely keep up the pressure with the disqualification campaign. Don't you? I should run against diaper Donald as a Republican. After all, he switched parties six times. DC court of appeals. Once they rule sometime this week, I've been saying that for three weeks now about um, that Donald Trump does not, I'm sure this is going to be the ruling that we're waiting on, Donald Trump does not have absolute presidential immunity from criminal indictment to have his indictment dismissed in the, in the District of Columbia because he happened to be occupying the Oval Office at the time that he committed the alleged crimes. That can't be the law for our land going forward, and I can't believe the Supreme Court would approve of that. D.C. Court of Appeals is the intermediary appellate court. they got to rule first. Once they rule, it'll come up to the, to the Supreme Court. Jack Smith tried to take it directly to the Supreme Court, and they said, no, go back now to the D.C. Court of Appeals. And we want to hear from the Solicitor General at the appropriate time. So the normal way means we're not going to probably have it briefed and up at oral argument in the United States Supreme Court until like March or April. And the longer that goes, uh, we're not going to have the D.C. election interference case until at least two months after it's returned to Judge Chutkin from the United States Supreme Court, assuming that uh, the, the government wins that uh, those, those two rounds of appeal. So just add two months onto it. Why two months? Chuckkin has already said that seven months in preparation for Donald Trump is fine. He's had five already, but then a pin got placed to it by the three days Now we have two more months that got to be added on to the back end. So when they rule, let's say the United States Supreme Court, for instance, rules in um, April, which is early. So let's say it's April. Then that means it's a June trial. If they rule in May, then it's a July trial. Now, if June-July is getting sort of late here to get the case tried before the November election, but it is still possible. It is still possible in a federal court to try a case over two months. So if they started it in July, August, September, there, there's a jury verdict by September, which is still time for the voter to know whether Donald Trump is a convicted uh, felon or not. Uh, putting aside whether he's already convicted in New York, in the New York uh, Supreme Court case related to Stormy Daniels and the cover-up. And 55%, I think, or so of Republicans say that they will not vote for Donald Trump if he's convicted. Even even they won't vote for Donald Trump if he's a convicted felon, although it takes that much. Apparently, you know, for us, Democrats, you know, indictment for 91 felony counts, you know, being a judge a rapist, Having to pay, you know, eighty-three and a half million dollars, but five point two million dollars to your rape victim. That would sort of oh, any of that, any one of that Should would be, be enough for us. Uh, let alone another half a billion dollars <laughs> in the next two weeks or so uh, against Donald Trump in the New York civil fraud case uh, by Judge Angoron. I mean, you know, we're we're. I'm sorry, we're we. Any one of those would be enough for us. But apparently, the Republicans <laughs> all of those things. 
say, okay, all right, we're not going to vote for it. <laughs> so we'll continue to follow this term of the United States Supreme Court the way we've done it. These three momentous cases, starting with Thursday with oral argument, and, and April with the decision about the obstruction of an official proceeding council, whether they survive constitutional challenge, and then lastly, the oral <laughs> argument that we know is coming Quiet. involving uh, the application of immunity of any type to Donald Trump's... conduct as alleged in the indictment. We'll do it one place, Midas Touch Network, and on Legal AF on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. and on Hot Takes, just like this one. If you like what I'm doing, yeah, that was give me a thumbs, thumbs up, leave a comment. It helps with the ratings and keeps us on the air. But until my next Hot Take, until my next Legal AF, this is Diaper Donald's Fox going down, Love yay. It. Down, going down, 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 down. <clears throat> yeah, there's only five percent uh, female border patrol agents because of the hazing. Basically, that's a light. That's putting it lightly, so that. Um, People aren't triggered by talking about the truth. Uh, five hours ago, corrupt Judge Cannon makes figure full of herself as dead lines approach. There are five reasons why we love Spot and Tango's Unkibble. Reason one is that it can be kept at room temperature. I'm Ben Marcellus, joined by Harry Littman. Harry, let's talk about our Yay, favorite Judge topic, Harry. Judge Eileen Cannon. I'm joking, of course, because what in the world is Cannon going to do on any given day? Let's talk about two things in Judge Eileen Cannon's court. First, um, let's talk about this bizarre hearing that Judge Cannon held. Under SIPA Section 4, she's supposed to hold these ex parte in-camera hearings with the government to determine if certain classified government classified documents that the government wants to withhold should be turned over or not. The very essence of SIPA Section 4, as I read it, as the statute says, as every court read it, is that the defendant and the defendant's lawyers don't go in that hearing. Trump's lawyers have asked to show up to be at the SIPA Section 4 hearing. So rather than just deny that request the same way Judge Tanya Chuckin denied it, Judge Tanya Chuckin denied it in a funny way. She said to Trump's lawyers, if you want to show me any authority anywhere of any court doing this, which has never happened, feel free to show it to me, but otherwise I'm going to go with what the law says, which every other court has done. But in contrast, Judge Cannon, who's like refused to make an actual order to the state, there are all these like paperless scheduling orders, because I think she's learned all the wrong lessons when she was overturned twice by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals back in 2022, and she's like, ah, I moved too quickly. If I just do scheduling orders, I can avoid all this. She must be watching the show carefully to see what she shouldn't do. Section 4 
to basically do a section four with the government to then determine what we already know she can't do, which is to determine if she should then allow Trump's lawyers to sit in on this. It took a few hours this hearing. Special counsel Jack Smith's team showed up and they were going to show her these documents. They're highly classified and sensitive, but I assume they're the nuclear records, the Iranian war plans, things like that. So these documents don't get turned over. There should be a substitution. So just number one, let's just talk about that. This odd hearing that she held, basic statutes like SEPA, she doesn't follow the procedures there about, I think, what it says. And um, how she hasn't really made, you know, everyone says, why isn't Jack Smith going to the 11th Circuit? Why isn't he getting her removed? I always say, he hasn't made an order that could be appealed at this stage yet. And that's one of the issues. What, what do you make well, of all of that? Let's start there. File for her recusal on other grounds. Opposition to the motion to become. Yeah, but she's so fucking incompetent. She's been a disaster. told That's off a couple times by the conservative federal judges so much on the 11th time. Circuit. And she makes so many elementary blunders. And the hovering question out there is, is she doing it on purpose? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, almost doesn't matter. Uh, but it, every single blunder she makes is in favor of one of the two sides, and that would be Trump. This is really shades. <laughs> this little episode of her initial debacle where Trump came in after a search and said, I want a special monitor to go through this all and maybe it is privileged. And, you know, you don't do that at that stage of a criminal proceeding. You have time in pretrial litigation or maybe you can make satellite litigation, but you just don't do that. And she went on for months at the time weren't counting the clock so much, but she was so indulgent to a completely lawless um, theory. So the same thing here, and this is the risk. Uh, you know, it's the whole thing uh, with how she's dealing with FIFA is so um, wrong-headed. There's nothing in the indictment or the... that has anything to do with the content of these this is corrupt judge cannon makes bigger full of herself as deadlines approach documents he is very clear the way the indictment is constructed they are of a certain level you can just read on the outside he took them he shouldn't have had them and he knew what he was doing that's that's it and it's a patent but also meritless effort on his part to try to essentially uh, I blackmail is a strong word, but that's actually in the, the one the, what you call this is gray mail. There are defendants who will say we really need the contents of this in order to make a good defense. And sometimes and the government says we can give you, you know, and with the judge's help, enough information, but still hide the most important. And that goes back and forth and can take a while. Here. It's got nothing to do with the trial, and her indulgence is just taking up um, more time. And, you know, moreover, your point is well taken. The other reason that it's just hard to indulge the notion that she's just uh, doesn't know what she's doing is it seems very crafty, even squirrely, that she continually uh, declines to make an order. As you, uh, you know, as, as your listeners will know, 
that her whole uh, misadventure way back when got she got slapped down by the conservative 11th circuit and if she does something pretty bad again jack smith could bring it up and say now it's time to recuse her and so what she does is so she's done uh discovery orders that clearly will just um bring the totally delay the trial, but she doesn't change the trial date. She's got, you know, it's a total farce because the time's going to come when like, okay, now we'll have this hearing, you know, a week or two before trial. And then foregone conclusion will actually become effective. Oh, I guess this trial has to be, you know, whatever, 2027, maybe. But it, it does seem a concerted strategy not to give anything she was overturned you know i think that i'll get your take on it or special counsel jack smith did that i think that there could have been an argument made to the 11th circuit look she was an inexperienced judge she made a mistake i mean i i think it would be wrong but this would be the argument you got to give her the benefit of the doubt let her try to redeem herself and I think in deference to a federal judge, the 11th Circuit probably would not have recused her. And then it would have backfired on special counsel Jack Smith when he did want to seek the recusal because he would have already lost a recusal vote. He pretty much only got one shot at that. You can't swing and miss when you, when you go why not? with that. So that's why I think why strategically not? he was special counsel Jack Smith. Well, again. Was. There's a body of case law in What's the wrong with Circuit, a case in the 1980s, I think, where a judge got it wrong three times. 
Supreme Court, you know, and, and uh, oh my God, <laughs> and if she doesn't, you know, then it's going to be a very long time for her in Mar-a-Lago. So you know, it's all consistent with that. But in any event, you know, you're, she certainly maybe just out of in fear hasn't given them and seems purposely not to have given them stuff to work with. It, even as she delays, 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 and it's a it's a friggin' shame. But you know, I think that one is basically off the table now. And you know, if he lose if he loses election, you know, she'll have to eventually bring it to uh, to trial. But you know, we're just not, and it's going to be a long time until justice is done there when it's really a very open case. Uh, take a look at some of these. and the videos, you will see that there. Donald Trump requests the production of materials concerning the search of Mar-a-Lago. Jackson's like, we've turned that over. Donald Trump requests evidence relating to secure facilities at Trump's residence. And Special Counsel Jackson's like, what do you, that's your residence. You want us to tell you about your own residence. But by the way, Jackson's doing something really interesting here, too. Jack Smith talks about how uh, of approximately 48,000 guests who visited Mar-a-Lago between January 21 and May 2022, while classified documents were scattered about the property, only 2,200 had their names checked and only 2,900 passed through magnometers. Um, so that, that was a kind of interesting stat right there of like, you had no clue. And, and we and Jack Smith's basically saying, we know, we explained it to you. One of the other things. Another quick point, these, these long motions do give little snippets. We learned from this motion that there was like many um, witnesses or people who, who were investigated, uh, or, or, or whom the government spoke to for the election interference case, they also did for uh, Mar-a-Lago. So that's, a, that's an interesting detail. Trump was trying to claim that he has this special security clearance with the Department of Energy and gave him perpetual authority to what access to nuclear weapons. Jack Smith said that
So, you know, this coming from you too, you know, you you know, you have a front row seat literally about the appointment of federal judges, their qualification and their fitness to be judges. Thank you for joining us. Everybody check out the Talking Feds YouTube channel. You just search it, search Talking Feds on YouTube. We're trying to help Talking Feds, which is partnered with the Midas Touch Network, get to two hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. With your support, Midas Mighty, I'm confident we can get there. So go uh, check that out right now. Harry, as always, thank you for as being always. a part of the Midas Mighty team, Talking Feds team. Thank you, everybody. A shout out to the Midas Mighty. All right. Love this video? Make sure yeah. you stay up to date on the latest breaking news and all things Midas by signing up to the Midas Touch newsletter at MidasTouch.com slash newsletter. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Thanks for 333K units, just law enforcement.